Well, hey you, hello there, every person everywhere. Well, hello there, everybody. My name is Lynn. I am your host for Every Person Everywhere. And this is stuff that you can relate to, hopefully. So, I've been cooking up a storm the past couple of days, honestly. it's It's been nice. So, um, just a little life update for me. It is now about two weeks, actually just over two weeks since I was first exposed to COVID. And I just tested negative for COVID, finally, yesterday. So I get to return to my day job and for one last week before I start my new day job. So I'm actually quite excited to finally be able to do something more than just sit and, you know, skim the internet and watch movies and play video games. Don't get me wrong. I think sitting down and just disconnecting and recharging was exactly what I needed. And that's honestly part of what I talked about yesterday. So I didn't actually go anywhere, but I still did a lot of the same things in principle and in concept that I did, that I do uh, when I travel. So I got to just sit down and just kind of disconnect and re reconnect with myself and you know, do all those kind of good things. And so that's kind of what the theme of this entire episode is going to focus around. Disconnecting from a very, very busy first semester of grad school and reconnecting with family. So using your resources and talking to everyone everywhere definitely nets you some cool opportunities. After all, it was me talking to random people at the Hare Krishna Society on campus that introduced me to one of my closest friends, Nikita. And it was him that told me what to do when I went to Ukraine and Murder's Day for cheap. And it was him that introduced me to Manuel, who was um, the reason I got to go to Spain. I stayed with him and his now fiance, Moni. And um, shout out to all of y'all. Meeting people in various necks of the woods just has afforded me lots of unique opportunities in general. Even if I didn't stay with this person, there was a dude named Will that I met on my uh, travels. I was actually sitting on a plane from Morocco and I met this man and I got to meet up with him again when I went to Toronto. So that was pretty cool. Um, You know, I got to meet up with an old friend that I met on the plane. Obviously, I didn't do a very good job explaining it to the security guards at the gate, but whatever, that doesn't really matter now, now does it? I'll talk more about that when I talk about O Canada, and that'll be next season uh, when I talk about my travels that I took in the first year outside of 2018. So next season will be all about 2019, and then the limited travels that I had in 2020, that'll be the final season for for now, until I do more stuff and I have more things to talk about. And I'm sure that I'll find a way to expand it into six seasons, but we'll see. What's most important is I've discovered this ability to share what I've seen and what I've done and some of my knowledge with the world free of cost. And it's really cool. You know, it's, it's my first time recording a podcast. It's obviously, as you know, it's me 
just recording things and blobbing while I'm on my uh, way to work. And it's, it's kind of nice to know that there's at least two or three people that listen to it. Fa- friends, family, whatever. Uh, very, very cool. Uh, I think one of my episodes is up to like 14 plays as of recording this. And considering I've done absolutely nothing to advertise it, that's that's an accomplishment to me, honestly. That's, that's pretty cool. So using your resources and reconnecting. That is what today's theme is largely about. So let's get into it. So let's dive right into how I managed to go to Biasta uh, near Sonnenzje in Vesternorland in the rural middle of Sweden and what I did while I was there. So this might end up being a bit of a longer episode. I apologize in advance just because there's a lot of ground to cover. So it was, I believe, the 16th or 17th-ish of December. The semester just ended maybe two days prior, and I wanted to go home for Christmas. So I also realized it would be very cool to give my uh, cousins, Aldo and Ersa, my third cousins, uh, a random Christmas present of them meeting me. It's a present that they didn't ask for. But obviously, you know, I had been friends with Seth on Facebook for some time, when I asked my mom about who I know from the family that lives in Europe, of course the resounding answer is, well, you know that Seth married Emma, and, and then he stayed there after they, after they split. And I said, oh yeah, that's right. So I had been communicating with him for like three or four years about wanting to visit him in Sweden. I'd already mapped out what there was to do in his locale. I mapped out how to get there. I just didn't have the resources to do it. And as you'll find, now that I lived a stone's throw away, figuratively speaking, and because traveling from European place A to European place B is a whole hell of a lot cheaper than jetting across the pond and then trying to go go from A to B to C. I was just already over there. Um, I, I monopolized. That's when I went to hang out with Auntie in Finland. That's when I finally got to visit Heike after promising her a visit for at least since high school. So it had been at least five years at this point in time, maybe even six years at this point in time. I honestly lose track of time very quickly these days. And Seth, I had promised I was going to come visit him in Sweden for quite some time. But now it was the time to make it happen. So, out of curiosity, I looked. What would it be like to visit Heike and then go home? What would it be like to visit Seth and then go home? And then, when I came back, I was going to do the opposite. I was going to either see Heike or I was going to see my cousin Seth. And as fate would have it, it was very cheap. It was like maybe, once again, a $40 flight to get to Stockholm. And this is where I found couch surfing. I was turned on to it by a friend. And that's when I did couch surfing in Stockholm. I left my suitcase to go home there. I took no more than a backpack um, up to my cousin's house. So I left my suitcase at this random stranger's house. It had a lock on it, but still, like, you know, it was a, you know, suede... Uh, like faux leather type suitcase type thing. Like you could have easily taken a knife and cut it open if you really wanted to. But this was the girl that I told you about that was the uh, Girl Scout in France 
And when she went to university in Sweden, she had her parents just mail her everything after she got there. She got to university. She showed up on her bicycle. She rode her bicycle and showed up with no more than some backpacking supplies. And she backpacked and biked her way from France across the top of Belgium, through the Netherlands, through Denmark, and then across the land bridge that they've built there that leads to Malmö. And then she stopped in Malmö for a couple days and then came to Stockholm. So I think she told me she's been a month or two doing it and she actually had an app on her phone. I forget what it's called now. I honestly wish that I would remember what it was because it was so cool. She showed me a pin that she dropped on this little map of every place she camped out. One time she was looking desperately for somewhere to stay and there was this person having a barbecue in their front yard and she asked, hey, can I, like, where can I camp around here? And this little Flemish man said, well, where are you from? Oh, I'm from the middle of France. I'm biking to Sweden. He goes, holy hell, you can stay in my front yard. So that was probably one of the most mind-boggling thing is the, the kindness to strangers, especially in Belgium. Like, most places in America, for instance, you would have to pay to charge your phone at a restaurant. But they just said, you're obviously lost here. Let us help you out. So they let me charge my phone for free. Like, people gave me a map and showed me how to get where I was going for free. People pointed me in the right direction all over Belgium for free. Now, once again, are the Flemish the most outgoing people as compared to Americans? Absolutely not. But the kindness of strangers pays dividends all throughout the world, doesn't matter where you go. And this kindness would be exuded by Seth because I would take an eight-hour bus ride and, of course, learn the hard way that I can't sleep on buses because I got, like, two hours of sleep. And he actually communicated with his new girlfriend, Sophia, that I was going to be coming into town. And she said, oh, well, if he's tired, he can take a nap at my place. So um, they offered me a spot in their, uh, in, in this little apartment. Now he lives in a one room cabin in the woods, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, but for the first three hours I was in uh, Western Orlan, I was, and I got there at like three in the morning. So I got to sleep until like 637 before his British friend picked me up. Um, at one point in time, I was going to offer to chauffeur said British friend um, to the car depot because his car needed some servicing and whatnot. But I had never driven um, a manual car in my life, and I'd never driven a car in which the steering wheel is on the right side of the car, even though I'd lived in Europe for some time. And I still haven't, actually. The closest thing I came to that was driving a uh, go-kart in London. And the only thing that's different there is the track goes the different way around. It goes from sort of right to left-ish instead of left to right-ish. Otherwise, um, yeah, that doesn't really count, obviously. <laughs> what, am I, what am I joking? What am I kidding? So, yeah, I... I got to uh, experience life in Sweden in a cabin in the middle of winter. Now, coming to Sweden in winter is usually ill-advised, but I was going for my family, and I was reconnecting with Seth. The last time I saw him, 
I was probably about 11 or 12 years old. I have a picture of him and I standing together at our family reunion. That was probably the last time I got to meet up with him. So he hadn't seen me in a decade. Obviously, a lot's changed. So the first day that I'm there, we are working from sunup to sundown, which, by the way, like I said before, in Scandinavian winter, that means the sun came up at 9 and set at 2 in Sweden. <laughs> so... <coughs> I mean, it's a slightly lower latitude than my friend was in Kemi, but still, you got like four-ish, five-ish hours of sunlight, and we we worked on the farm, and he showed me what life was like for him up there, what it was like to house and grow cruciferous vegetables through the winter, and his kale and his shard and his onions and his potatoes were still growing all throughout the winter it blew my mind because i didn't think that was possible but he also has a bachelor's degree in agricultural science and he's been living off the grid for at least a decade and what i mean when i say off the grid like let me talk about his cabin so you go in the thatched front door and there is a pellet stove that he uses to both heat the house and cook there's a small latrine in the back that he uses to make compost for his farm. So he is actively contributing to his product. He doesn't even own a car. He rides a Bluebird bicycle. It's a double-decker bicycle. And I got to his house by him pedaling uphill and pedaling me on the front of his bicycle uphill in the winter. Like... This man is built. He's in his 40s and he is completely ripped because like he's never lifted weights a day in his life, but he lifts things every day. He rides bicycles with pounds of hay on them and pounds of goat and horse feet on them. Uh, there's a goat there that I forget what they call it in Swedish, but uh, although in their show when I got to meet them, they called him Old Stinky. <laughs> um so I got to hang out with the goats. I got to learn how they feed goats and horses. I got to learn how to rodeo sheep off of land. We had to search in the dark for sheep because one of his recent trade deals was he was getting a couple more goats because they didn't want these baby goats. He loves goats, just like me. So I love that about him. But you basically grab the scruff around their neck like a necklace and you ride them like an oversized donkey down the hill and they think that it's natural and they just kind of go with it getting a sheep over a fence is a procedure and a half and it's something that i never thought i would need to know in my entire life but i'm very glad that i do and it's basically you lift the front end towards the top and then you grab all the legs in sort of like a cradle hold <clears throat> and then you tip them over the fence sheep always land on their front feet so you don't have to worry about dropping them as long as they're over the fence and so i learned that day how to put a sheep over a fence they are very heavy they do not look heavy they are incredibly heavy animals so that was the farm itself it was fertilized by human refuse um that was biodegraded and composted all winter long because he had a very nice cycle of nitrogen and carbon running on it so then the rest of the cabin was a table and a single shelf full of lots of spices. 
he had an ice box that was outside. It was so cold year round that he was able to keep it in the shade, actually right next to the goats. So all of his foodstuffs was there outside. And <clears throat> any lights that he had, he used solar powered battery packs. And um, he got all of his water from his friends. So he grew potatoes and onions for this British friend I told you about. And they had a well for fresh water. So he got all his fresh water. A lot of bartering is done when you live off the grid as such. Um, and then to get other supplies for the house and to build the house, whenever one of the goats would get sickly and die, he had a bolt gun and he would put it down. And of course, me being vegetarian, not the biggest fan of that, but you know, it, it is, it, it's sustainable living really, if you live in rural Sweden. So yeah, um, that, that's what he wanted. That's how he lives. And he loves it. He is a liberal farmer. He is the only American for miles and miles. So everybody calls him, everybody calls him the gringo and the American. It's kind of cute, actually. So imagine the look on their faces when they see me, obviously, being, you know, another American and also related to the only American in town besides the half American children, the half American, half Swedish children. Aldo and Ersha. So we got this one room cabin. Where do you sleep? Well, there's a very dainty ladder on the side right behind the pellet stove that leads up to a loft. There's bed number one for Irsa. There's bed number two for Seth and Sophia when she's over. And there's bed number three for Aldo. And it looks very much like boonies. It looks like you wouldn't be able to sustainably live there. But I spent half of my time in, the ca um, in that cabin. I spent half of the time in Sophia's apartment. Um, and I was actually kind of timid to sleep in this one-room cabin. But when his kids were at school during the week, that's when their mother would have them. So um, their bed was free. He had recently laundered everything. Um, before he met Sophia, he would launder everything at Matt's place or his friend Yan's place. Um, but now he launders everything at Sophia's place and showers at her place. Um, he... He also, sustainably enough, tries to go as long as possible without showering and um, literally just rolls around in dirt to get the scent off of him. Um, so very backwoods-ish, like very mountain man-ish. But when I did finally decide to sleep in the cabin for the first night, I wanted to do it again and again because I, to this day, I swear to God, under the downy blankets in that loft, in that one-room cabin in Sweden was probably the best night of sleep I ever got in my entire life. And of course, my cousin has a good taste in music. So I was awoke by the sound of Florence and the machine singing No Light, No Light and another different song. I think it was uh, something off of Lungs. Um, and um, this was at like 6.30 in the morning. And of course, it was time for me to help tend the farmer and my keeper and my stay, which I was fine with. Um, because I'm, I'm an Eagle Scout and I'm used to that kind of stuff and I actually really enjoyed it and I would definitely do it again. I think that's part of why I've decided that in my future I'm also going to have a farmstead. So when I wasn't at the farm or chilling at this apartment um, eating snacks and working on you know schoolwork or whatever and being by myself what was I doing? Because it was a 30 it was like a 20 minute drive to get from Biasta to Sunnensia. Um, and it was like an hour walk. If I wanted to walk 
from Sophia's place to my cousin's place, it wasn't happening in winter because it was routinely minus 20 Celsius, so minus six degrees Fahrenheit. And if it weren't for my cousin lending me his Blochlader uh, clothing, I, I would have definitely froze to death. And it was snowing the entire time and it was icy and yeah, because you're in the mountains in Sweden in the winter. What do you expect, man? Like, so, so that was a thing that, that definitely happened. Um, what did I do with my time when I wasn't doing that? So I went shopping. I tried as many Swedish goodies as I can. I got to try Gravlox. Um, and I actually sort of mystified my cousins because I had them cook it because me and raw food doesn't mix. And Gravlox is smoked, but raw salmon. They smoke it to cure it so it's safe to eat. And I had them cook it. And Hirsa was staring at me and I said, what? And she explains to Seth in Swedish because her English wasn't that great yet that, oh, she just finds it fascinating that we we cooked Gravlox. That's not really a thing that you do. And so they, they were like, can I have some? And I was like, yeah, sure. It's not my food. It's your, your dad's providing for me. Um, I got, he made like root vegetable stew and soup for me for most, for most meals, which was nice. Where did I get my lunch at? Well, so when I met Aldo and Irsha, I saw them Saturday and Sunday and we were there together and we played together on the farm and we had a great time and we clicked and bonded and vibed immediately. Irsha is more of the reserved child. Aldo is the, I'm going to see the world one day kind of child. And they were, I think, eight and seven, respectively, at this point in time. So, you know, I, a stranger danger is a thing, especially with this you know, random dude who you've never really met before. I did apparently meet them, but I don't remember it because they would have been like infants and stuff. And they didn't really leave Sweden that much except to go to Farfar and Farmore's house, which means your dad's mom and your dad's dad. Um, so... Yeah, we, we all got together and we, we, we chilled and vibed pretty quickly. But still, yet something was heavy in my heart. I had finally got to meet these two beautiful, beautiful humans that had such adventure and humor in their heart. And we connected in spite of me speaking little to no Swedish and them speaking minimal English because of their age, obviously. So I was very sad when they, you know, had to go to school and then go with Emma, which was their mom because, you know, divorced. So they lived separately just over the horizon. But still, I didn't want to you know, overimpose my boundaries. Even if they divorced, I still considered Emma family because of the life that she provided for the family uh, through her womb. And, you know, to this day, I still consider Emma family, even if there's a divorce paper there. Um, but, you know, Emma just met me for the first time walking her kids to her house from school one day. <laughs> so um, I didn't want to impose my boundaries and invite myself over. And like, apparently her, her new spouse didn't really see it the same way, which is unfortunate, but you know, it's understandable. Everyone's got their corner of the sky and their, their little part of Eden that they want to protect and stuff. So I, I totally respect that. Um, and you know, me as a dad, I'd be the same way probably. And like, oh, who's this random adjunct of the family coming by? But I mentioned school, right? So it's an 18 minute walk to the schoolhouse from Seth's house. And I was like, how do I get there? He's like, 
when you know we're in rural Sweden, you literally walk down the hill and you come to an intersection and you'll see it from the intersection. And if you don't, you need to get your vision checked. And so I, I took the walk down to school every single day to hang out with them. Now in America, you need to file paperwork. You can only stay for an hour. You can't do anything. You, you come visit the teacher or the kid you're trying to visit for a total of like one hour and then you leave. That's how America works. That's not the case when you're in bum F Sweden. So <clears throat> the kids were also sad that they had just met this awesome American cousin and then said American cousin was disappearing. So they said, oh, why don't they visit us at school? Seth says, that's an awesome idea. Let's arrange that. And I said, yeah, let me know what paperwork I have to fill out. And, and he stops me there and says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't need to do that. We just got to send a text to the teacher. And I said, you're doing a what? So the way it works for them, because their grandparents came and spent school days with them as well. <laughs> Seth gets on Facebook and he Facebook messages Aldo's teacher and Irsa's teacher. And they say, sure, bring him to school. And I go to school. Nobody stops or greets me at the front door. I walk in the unlocked front door of the school and I walk up the stairs as instructed. I'm like, well, this is like a five room schoolhouse type deal. So I'm assuming I'm at the right place. I knock on the door and I hear somebody teaching in Swedish from behind the door, obviously. And I hear her break and say, oh, our visitors here in English. And then come and then say, come in, come in. And so I awkwardly and meekly, obviously, open the door and peek in and say, hi, um, is this? Oh, I see him. There's Aldo. And so she does show and tell with the American cousin. And of course, all the kids are like, uh, at first. And I'm like, uh, at first. But then comes after school. So in Sweden everything is different, at least at this school. So in America, you pay $4 for a really crappily put together lunch that's barely nutritious. In Sweden, the cooks are volunteers that get paid to be there and they want to be there. They love children and they want to feed these children. And they prepare a flipping buffet for lunch every day. Like whatever, there was a vegetarian option there. There was a meat option there. There was two meat options and one really, really good vegetarian option every day. And they had like an a la carte and they had, um, and they had snacks and they had goodies and they had homemade snacks. So I got to have homemade Swedish style brownies and rolls and buns and bread every day. I visited three days and they treated me like a king and they, you know, the kids were actually fighting over me sitting with them. Like, table A wanted me one day, and I said, okay, but I need to spread the love to table B the next day. And the kids fell in love with me. We played together at recess, and, you know, I spent... I was at recess with them for a little bit. Um, but, yeah, lunch period lasted about 40 minutes. Recess lasted about 45 to 55 minutes. If the teachers were busy or just didn't feel like calling the kids in yet, they wouldn't. They, they just let the kids play. In America, 20 minutes for recess, 30 minutes for lunch, give or take. You get your lunch, you scarf it down, and you go play. Like, 
everything was slower paced, but everybody was so happy to be there. Like, the teachers were genuinely just happy that I existed. I never felt more welcome somewhere in my entire life. And I've been to a lot of places, and still, Sweden had the most open arms of anywhere I'd ever been. And I will never forget that and how they made me feel. Like, the teachers actually required me to sit with them at lunch one day to just chat with me about America. And they could chat me up about what it was like living in rural Sweden. So we did for an entire day. And, you know, I got to play with the children and I was one of them for the day. And I learned about them and played their games and learned what Swedish playground games in winter looked like. And... I had an amazing time, and I got to learn about Viking history and the history of Sweden in Swedish, but she threw in English to make sure I wasn't lost, because I can follow context clues, and I knew just enough words in Swedish that I could pick up every six word, but still, it was very nice of her to do that. I learned vocabulary. I learned chemistry class. I learned gas exchange. They were teaching a seven-year-old about gas exchange, man, and I was learning it in Swedish. I didn't learn it in English till I was like 15, so this blew my mind. Like, this rural school really had something going for it. And a lot of these people probably will never leave rural Sweden. You know, one of my <clears throat> friend, one of my friend's friends in Sweden, who took me back down to Sophia's place after a day of class, um, he was a year older than me, and I asked him, like, what's next for him in life? He said, and I'll probably stay here in Örnskundsvik and Biesta uh, and uh, Western Norrlands my entire life. My friends are here. I don't have any real reason to travel or leave. And that's how a lot of them end up being. So it's, it's really humbling. And humility, reconnecting with hospitality, that was the biggest lesson I learned up here. I did spend a day in Stockholm seeing all the touristy things, and that looked a lot like every other touristy adventure I took. So I'm not going to go into that too much. Walking around and seeing where the Vikings walked in Biasta, saying hello to people, and them going from a sullen, sunken, sad face to a bright and shiny, come on, go you, and just, just brightening up just because I said hello. There's really no feeling like it. So my first year of all the places I went, I would encourage you to go to rural Sweden. It was amazing, you know being encouraged to drink from the coffee pot by the teachers, being welcomed in via Facebook Messenger by the teachers, and just being embraced as a student for a day by these teachers, and, you know, eating free lunch just like they do in school. Yeah, did I mention that lunch is free if you're in Sweden? So that was nice too. Um, and I think, you know, to get sugary stuff when you're in high school, I think you might have to pay like a euro or something like that. But Still, you get nutritious lunch every day for free by people who actually want to be there. Sweden has some of the world's smartest people. They also have some of the world's happiest people. They are always in, I think, the top eight of World Happiness Index, which is much better than America that's normally around number 16. As far as Freedom Index, they're typically in the top five compared to America being, I think, we, our highest was number 12. Like, Sweden's an amazing place. And it doesn't matter where you go in Sweden, there's something there for everybody. If you like the rural mountains, take that six-hour drive up north like I did. 
if you like the city, Stockholm is an amazing city. There's lots of Christmas events all the time in Gamlestan. Uh, there's lots of people parading their Hare Krishna and their Christmas and their Christian stuff. There was a, a Hare Krishna procession, right? That actually intersected with a Christian procession. And they looked at each other and they just stood next to each other singing their thing and then they smiled at each other and continued on their ways. That wouldn't happen in America. There'd be fist fights probably. I hate to say it. I hate to say that we're turning third worldish in America, but like, that's just how life do over there. It's incredible. I I honestly, I've gone on long enough, but words cannot describe how beautiful Sweden was and what it meant to me to be there. And I don't know when I'll get there again. So help me God, I'll get there again. I promised Aldo and Ursa that when they're teenagers, I would be back and we could rent a car and they would tell me where to go and we would just go places. So I, I owe them that. I don't know when it will happen, but I owe them that. So some summer day, sometime in the future, I will make sure that that happens. And I honestly can't wait until then. So once again, hospitality and humility were the biggest lessons I got from this. Being one with wherever you're at, whomever you're at, in spite of your differences, that is the takeaway from being in Sweden. And to this I add my beautiful silence. <laughs>